0: Welcome to Leading into the Unknown, a podcast by SY Partners, featuring stories from leaders we admire about creating the path forward in complex times. Today, I'm joined by Stephen Friedman. He's formerly president of MTV, where he created MTV's social impact department. He won Emmy and Peabody awards for social impact campaigns. And uh, he spearheaded MTV's transformation into a cultural home for millennials. Uh, with shows such as Teen Mom, Catfish, and Jersey Shore, I believe, Stephen. Stephen, welcome, <laughs> to the, welcome to our podcast. Thank you.
1: It's great to be here, Tom.
0: All right. So, Stephen, I have to believe that people were coming to MTV not to be preached to or to uh, be even to be educated. I presume they were, you know, they were tuning in to be entertained. How on earth did you sort of bring in this factor of actual social impact? What was the magic you did there?
1: It always had to be about entertaining. Because if you ever veered into didactic lecturing, the audience would change the channel. And I knew we were never PBS. Our mandate was to entertain. And so what I learned, and one of the key things that has come back in time and time again, is this notion of, of listening, letting go of your assumptions that you understand, and deeply listening to the audience. And there's a, there's a phrase that I heard when I first got to MTV, that we worship at the altar of the audience. When I got there, and this was in 1998, as we started listening to the audience, we started hearing issues of concern about safety in schools. And the world wasn't talking about this, but young people were saying like, we have friends that are having issues and there is a need to talk about this, but no one was really talking about safety in schools or gun violence, just was not as common. And by listening to the audience, we built an entire campaign. The first campaign I developed there was fight for your rights, take Us Down against violence. And we did a show with the American Psychological Association. We had to partner their research with the producers who understood how to talk to the audience and tell stories. Tell stories of if your friend is depressed or if your friend is feeling angry, how do you deal with it? It was tragic at the time, but we had just finished the show when we got word we were about to launch the campaign that columbine had happened one of the biggest school shootings you know in our history and the next day we were able to put that show warning signs up and we did a thousand forums over the next 6 months with the american psychological association using the show and so it's seared in my memory by listening to the audience We were way ahead of the cultural curve and could provide something of deep
0: need and use for the audience. When you say listen to the audience, what does that look like? Practically, what does that look like?
1: At MTV, there was a huge investment in research. And so there was a team that would do ethnographic studies where the team would spend weeks hanging out with the audience and they would see what's going on in their lives. It was really in-depth listening. When I left MTV, there were probably 40 people in the research department. You don't need a massive team, but I think by really listening, it enabled us to hear weak signals in culture which I think enabled the brand to really be out front on topics that the audience knew about, but the rest of the world wasn't talking Was about. It,
0: so relate that for me to say other organizations that are not in the entertainment industry, for example, right. or businesses that, that where I'm a leader, I see what's going on in the world, I care about playing some role in society that addresses some of these issues that are affecting My colleagues, my employees, depending on your role. How does this kind of approach actually work within a business or an organization?
1: Well, I think tapping your employees and truly listening, because you rarely see that. You see the hierarchy reinforce a silence and a a lack of communication. So, reverse mentoring. We tried this at MTV and it was. Simple, any organization can do it. We matched some of the youngest people on the staff and we partnered them directly with heads of departments and divisions where they were really the mentors. They were advising them on what they were listening to, what was bubbling up in culture, in conversation. The younger
0: employees were mentoring. Exactly, the
1: uh, The younger employees were, were mentoring the senior ones with the clear goal of understanding what is happening in the organization, but also what's happening in culture, what's happening in the community that can help really be great insights for the leaders, for the product you're creating. It becomes a very good way, not just of getting the insights, but also bonding the organization in a way that is reinforced by this sense of everyone's opinion matters and You get great insight, but also a deeper sense of community within the organization. I'm going to give you one example. So my mentee, young man named Jose Inez said, you know, you've got the Video Music Awards. It reaches hundreds of millions of people. You give all of these awards. Why wouldn't you do a video that has a social impact message? He understood something that was innate to the younger audience that we just never thought of. And the first year we did it, Lady Gaga or Taylor Swift won that year. And it was the award they said afterwards meant the most to them. And so here was this award that bought great cachet in a whole new category and artists felt the greatest sense of purpose when they won that award. And so that was a great example of my mentor advising me in a way I don't know that it would have ever bubbled up.
0: So I presume you can take a fair amount of creative risk when you're working at a place like MTV. If you're working at a business in uh, corporate America, it seems riskier to confront any social issues, even as there seems to be an increasing demand on the part of people in general, employees, colleagues, society at large. Should business leaders actually take a stand on social issues?
1: believe if you look at kind of the brilliant call by Larry Fink at BlackRock, I think what he was channeling there is a deep sense from the broader audience that we all have a responsibility beyond our product, beyond our profits, especially with the younger generations. There is an expectation that you are doing good in the world. And so I actually think the risk is to not consider it, but I think you really need to do the research to wade in too quickly. I've seen too many brands want to make a stand and it's not well interrogated or researched and it blows up in their face. The groundwork that needs to be done to make it credible, to make it long lasting is Critical before you take the next step and go external with it. Especially with millennials, commerce is a form of activism. So if commerce is a form of activism, it is a risk not to play in that game.
0: What do you say to a leader who's willing to listen and willing to act on great ideas and insights from a younger generation that are topical, but who is just afraid of, you know, putting the foot in it and getting into trouble. I mean, it it is difficult to take a stance on social issues if you're in a business.
1: I think a leader that is contemplating taking on a social issue that may be polarizing, the first thing is understanding as many angles as possible about the topic. Mm -hmm. Because I think there are many polarizing issues that you can find a way in that is not going to be partisan or complicated and this is what is often missing in organizations there is not an understanding of where do you go for the information who is the nonprofit partner there is always a way to find an angle in there is a way to take a first step and that's critical to begin the process because many of these issues are seemingly intractable and can cause paralysis if you don't find what is that first step that you can bring the organization along to begin to have an impact.
0: So is the first step trying to understand the different perspective, like finding the right partner to advise you, who's not nonpartisan, is what you're saying.
1: Exactly. We would never begin a campaign without a deep understanding of it, because having an encyclopedic sense of what the problem is often inspires great creative ways to approach it because there are so many nonprofits that are out thinking about this every single day, bring them in.
0: These are big words, societal impact. How do you know you're having impact?
1: I think it depends on the issue or the cause. And when you are talking about behavior change, it is helpful to go into any campaign and figure out what are potential metrics of success. It starts with the research, understand What is the goal? What is the ambition and what are going to be the incremental steps that can help get you there? So when we did a campaign on sexual health on STDs, we partnered with the CDC and Planned Parenthood. We did pre and post surveys and we found out after we launched this big media campaign, we saw spikes of people getting tested for HIV and AIDS. That was an amazing accomplishment because we were changing behavior. A show like Teen Mom and 16 Pregnant. Which people think is the worst thing wrought on culture, you know, in the last few years. The backstory on that is when I was pitched it, the pro social department said teen pregnancy is at historic highs. And so we decided we were gonna partner with the national campaign to end teen pregnancy. Our goal in that was to do no harm. And we realized there was an opportunity to change the narrative and make young people in particular understand you're giving up your childhood. You're giving up your innocence if you have a kid. And so if you've ever watched 16 Pregnant Teen Mom- It's it's, not glamorous. It's the opposite. And so that was our goal. It wasn't anything beyond that, but researchers started looking at the impact of the show. They started looking at the narrative, the conversation around these shows. Outside researchers were able to conclude that a third of the decline of teen pregnancy was due to those two shows, which blew us away. And I got the call from Nick Kristoff at the New York Times saying, did you plan for this? And I I was honest, I said, we want to do no harm. Mm -hmm. And we could have only done that in partnership with the national campaign to end teen pregnancy. And so here was an example of what could have been a crisis and a problematic PR issue, which actually is doing great good in the world That came from understanding what the issues were, a great partnership with a nonprofit, and then an external group giving us those results.
0: Who do you think in particular is doing a great job of this right now? Who is inspiring you?
1: Patagonia has taken risks and chances, and by being true to their purpose, I think they have an even more fervent fan base. But they're not afraid of taking on government they they
0: suing suing the government over the barriers exactly uh,
1: they have consistently put their money where their mouth is and in this complicated age people are yearning for that sense of authenticity and consistency
0: any leaders in particular who are inspiring you right now
1: certainly Howard Schultz Um, is someone that is incredibly impressive. I mentioned Larry Fink as someone who is using his powers for good. Paul Pullman and what he's doing at Unilever is incredibly impressive.
0: Stephen, I want to hit you with a quick fire round now. Let's go for it, okay? All it's right. just got to come from the gut, Stephen. Okay. How do you keep yourself sane and fit and healthy through what must be a pretty occasionally challenging job?
1: i walk a lot like eight to ten miles a day and to work back and listen to podcasts as i'm doing it and there is something soothing about that something meditative about walking
0: what is one thing that today's leaders would benefit from having more of
1: empathy i think the leaders who have been the most visionary, certainly in my life, are those who listen, deeply listen. And I think empathy enables you, opens you up to hear things that you generally miss when you are a leader and called on to make quick decisions. Having the calm and the reserve to listen, to truly listen, is, is a
0: superpower that is, that is underutilized. Is there a particular technique that you have for being empathetic, for accessing your empathy?
1: Reading great fiction enables you to walk in other people's shoes and you start listening. And that listening expands your sense of the world. And so while I read nonfiction a lot, I kind of luxuriate in great writers. And there's this great poem um, called Cynics and Optimists. And it ends by saying an optimist always has pockets full of poetry. And that sense of getting out of yourself by listening to words that kind of transport you is a natural building block for empathy. And now the studies actually prove that that is in fact the case.
0: I love that. What a lovely way to... And thank you. Sure. Thank you so much. Sure, Stephen. sure.
1: Great, great talking about this. It's a topic I care about. Well,
0: pleasure to have you on the show. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Excellent.